How much has the digital revolution changed the publishing industry? Welcome, Immortalites, to another round of the book reviews. You've got Kyron here on the 25th of the 1st, 2024, the day before Australia Day, live at 10 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time, not only on YouTube, but also on the podcasting apps themselves. So if you do ever want to join in live, got a couple of different options. Obviously, you can go to the YouTube link, but you can also jump in onto a modern podcasting app like Fountain, Podverse, Podcast Guru, True Fans, and be able to get this live experience, which I'm very happy about. We've got this rocking and rolling again. So uh, that is 10 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time on a Thursday. So that is just uh, Wednesday midnight UTC zero. So whatever your time zone is, plus or minus it from that, and you'll be able to join in. Beautiful. All right. That is out of the way. This is the book review channel where I dive deeper into the books I'm reading, give you juicy information within, extract some themes that you might not have thought about, really try and give you an overall impression of the book so you can decide if it is worth your time to spend on it. I typically focus on older books, classics, you might call them. I've got a couple in front of me, which uh, I will be reviewing shortly, notably some John Steinbeck. I really do like going back to him. But every now and then I dive into a book, which is a bit old, a bit newer, I should say, because it has a special reason. There's a special reason for that. And I do indeed have for you today, Book Wars by John B. Thompson, The Digital Revolution in Publishing. So this book was published in 2021. And if you can't see on this video, it is a thick boy, thick with two C's, maybe even three, 500 dense, dense pages. And when I hold it up, I mean dense. There's like, there's no paragraph breaks in this baby. It is just, (laughs) it's just thick. It is a thick, thick book. Uh, And it probably took me about 15 hours of reading to get through in total. I have been reading this book for about a month and a half, maybe just trying to chip away at it because holy damn, there was a lot to get through. So, let's jump into it itself. What was my motivation and initial pressure while coming into this? Well, I'm trying to think of how I actually came across it in the library. So, I got this book from the library. I think it's because I was searching for other technological related books, something like The Internet of Money, perhaps by Andreas Antonopoulos, or something related to Chris Anderson's Free, perhaps. But I came across this and I just saw the title. The title's kind of interesting. And then it just spoke to me of like, oh man, this is going to be the exact material that I need for the value for value show. So, whipped it up, booked it out for two months and was like, I'm going to get through this. I know it's thick, but it's probably worth it. So, it got into it pretty quickly. My initial impression of the book was relatively good. Uh, so the introduction doesn't last too long. And then it just gets into the the meat of it, showing some graphs and, and things. And I was like, okay, yeah, this is interesting. And it 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 was good because it surprised me in that the ebook didn't change things as much as I thought it would. I thought the publishing industry would have changed a lot, but actually it was um it it changed, but not in the ways that I would have expected. So this gets us, I guess, onto the the plot and the style of of this book. So it's largely dictated by category rather than a linear timeline. So uh, it says, you know, digital revolution in publishing, but it's essentially a a historical book, I would say, largely focusing on the period of 2005 to 2018. So there's 12 main chapters in this book. I'll try and read them out. So we had the preface and introduction, but also things like 
The faltering rise of the ebook, the blacklist wars, Google trouble, struggles for visibility, crowdfunding books, book flicks, the new orality, old media, new media. That's not all of them, but you get a sense of the type of things that he's talking about there. So he's talking about categories rather than a linear timeline because so many different things were happening at the same time. It would be very confusing to try and jump from one and to the other and saying like, this was happening. Oh, but also this was happening and this was going on over here. So very, very much a category-based book. Uh, it really gives you a feel of what was happening. I think that's the main thing I can take from the the plot of it, which was he's really trying to go exhaustively into all of these different things. So he sticks pretty well to the core thesis, which I was I was happy with, especially after reading Manufacturing Consent and was like, this is not what you promised <laughs> in the subtitle nor on the back pages, uh, and which was his core thesis of how digital has changed things. Um, he maybe gets slightly too sidetracked with the business models and with monetary considerations because he lists off a lot of companies in it. But, you know, it's still in that core theme of, you know, what do publishers do? Well, they publish books. Why do they do that? Well, you know, it could be because they want to help authors because they love books in the world or it could be because they want money so you know money is a pretty important consideration in terms of the style of it a lot of research and interviews with companies and important individuals forms the the core thesis of it he does have some quotes some data footnotes figures sub chapters there's a lot of different things that you can find within it but i would say that the the bulk of it is writing about the experience of people and how things have changed from yes a a monetary view of things but also just like the the linkages between people of agents and then book publishers and then the typesetters and things like that so you do get different aspects within here uh, i mentioned it was dense before and this is partly due to repetition that i think feels somewhat unnecessary so we're going to go to our first quote here from Cole, who is my uh, voice actor for this, and he is going to read from page 286. The emergence of large crowdfunding organizations that have come to play a significant role in the creative industries, especially Indiegogo and Kickstarter. These crowdfunding organizations are not specifically focused on books. They do fund book projects, but this is a small part of what they do. Moreover, they are pure crowdfunding organizations in the sense that they are just about raising money, a platform for raising capital from the crowd. They don't actually publish your book once the capital is raised. You have to make separate arrangements for that, whether this is with a traditional publisher or by self-publishing. So crowdfunding is not in and by itself a form of publishing or self-publishing. It is a form of fundraising tout court. Crowdfunding organizations like Indiegogo and Kickstarter can help you raise money to write and publish a book, but they won't publish the book for you. It is your responsibility to arrange the publication as best you can. Yeah, so that's really cool. It, it got into, you know, he gets into all these companies and things like that. But then that whole passage there, I think you could probably condense that down into three sentences maybe. But because he's like, you know, there's Indiegogo and Kickstarter and they're crowdfunding but they do it not just for books, but then, you know, we'll just reiterate that it's not just for books and that you have to go publishing yourself. It's it's very exhaustive. I've, that That's that's like kind of the word I really took out after reading this. I'm like, holy damn, I'm, pr I'm glad that I got through all of this. I'll talk more in the summary about why that it is and, and whether it was worth it, but it was an, an exhausting book to get through. And 
there's all sorts of other things that he also does where he'll have, you know, a, a list or a um, more in particular like a graph or list of numbers. And then he'll go, oh, yeah, so in 2017, it was this number. And then this changed by 36% to go down to this number. And it's like, I can see it there, mate. I don't particularly need you to spend three pages listing off all the things that I can see in the chart and the data. That's why you have a chart. So you don't have to do that. So there was definitely uh, in the style wise, I would say it was too much. This this book did not need to be this long. Um, so we'll, we'll leave it at that for the moment. And maybe let's jump on to some of the, the questions and themes that really arose from this. So We'll start off with a question, which was the, the question in the front, how has the digital revolution changed publishing? And so here I'm going to give you the, the condensed summary of this book so that you don't have to really get through all of this. Okay, overall, the book industry has not only survived, but I would say has thrived. In, and this is in comparison to perhaps music, for example, where sales flatlined. And you can see that in the, the previous uh, graph that I showed where the the revenues of of the music industry they were just going down they like they didn't they didn't actually do well with the things of like Napster and and um <clears throat> and being able to access did music digitally online people were going and kind of resorting to piracy was was what i would say uh, because the music industry was trying to like be a laggard and say like no this is how things are done and just trying to ignore this new digital revolution. And so that actually wiped a lot of value of going from me, the individual, the person consuming music to the artists. Ultimately, a lot of that value got wiped out because we had to do things like go onto LimeWire and Torrent. The book industry actually noticed this and, and their revolution came uh, almost a decade later than the music. And so they actually it did well from it. They they kind of learned the lessons of you can't fight this thing. That's 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 not the way to go. Um, and so you have to adapt to it. And so what we really see is that whilst ebooks were in in like they 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 grew up very rapidly their sales, and you can kind of see this through the through the graph from like two thousand and eight through to two thousand and thirteen. There was a big, big like exponential spike. Oh my God, eBooks, they're going to take over. They're going to absolutely wipe out. People aren't going to um, buy physical books anymore. They're going to go extinct. Wrong. What ended up happening was the eBooks uh, sales flatlined and they kind of just stayed at a, a, a rough level of, you know, certainly many, many millions, if not billions of dollars. But this actually made more money for the book publishers because books that are online are digital are much cheaper to produce uh, reproduce i should say and so their their margins actually improved and you can see this with um some of the companies like simon schuster uh who shared some of their data with with um the author john b thompson and you can see they actually made more money because they were still selling it at roughly the same amount but you know it, it just costs way less to produce a physical book so that was one of the interesting that came out um what we also saw was that gatekeepers were not eliminated. These book, there's like the big five he constantly refers to in this book, and it's Penguin Random House, uh, Simon and & Schuster, and then three others, which I, I can't remember. And they were not eliminated. These huge publishers did not go away. But there was certainly more access for individual smaller authors who perhaps were writing on a 
subject which would never really be you know acceptable like maybe it's too much of erotic and it's getting into some like sexual things or maybe it's too political or maybe you just don't have access maybe you're in an uh, in a foreign country you don't have um you know all these sorts of things basically the digital revolution and in particular self-publishing through somewhere like uh, i think it was called kdp kindle direct publishing really opened up the doors for many people to to be able to create books once again sort of like the long tail by chris anderson a lot of junk got released but that's fine the market will figure it out and it's better to have access to all of these things and we can figure it out ourselves rather than just relying on these gatekeepers at the top so gatekeepers weren't eliminated there's still the big five publishing they still were very meticulous with you know the politics who this author is are they going to sell do we trust them all this sort of thing that still existed but it did now result in like many people being able to um, access and self-publish books are more than just harry potter as well when i came into this i really had in my mind you know it's a book you know it's the kind of stuff that i read but books are many, many different things. And what I got from this, they can be, you know, audio books, they can be compilations, they can be photography books, the sort of thing that you'll put on a coffee table, for example. They can be short stories on your phone, they could be medical journals, they could be a list of quotes of things for your friends. And so it's only something which is designed to actually go out to a hundred people and it's not being mass produced for a huge audience so it's not the harry potter not everyone not every author is trying to be a a jk rowling many 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 people are just trying to create a small book that will go out to a select few people and if it goes out to wider stuff that's awesome but even then sometimes it's not meant for that so the digital revolution changed a lot of things but it actually didn't completely revamp the industry there's still bookstores out there at this very day in queen street mall maybe they're not as much maybe people discover books in different ways i.e through places like amazon which is probably the biggest change actually in the digital revolution that happened they took over a tremendous amount of the market but the market still has the same actors and they still have the agents who are searching for books they still have the book publishers who help with the logistics of typesetting and writing and, and you know, accessing, verifying uh, sources, claims, all this sort of stuff. All of these things still exist. Uh, it's just slightly different. And um, there was some book wars, I guess. I guess this will get onto the, the next section, the, the themes of the book. Um, at, the, at times, it feels like we're at the whims of technology and uh, in a inexorably driven towards a particular outcome and you would have seen this recently in like the inevitable by kevin kelly where he lists off all of these different things that he thinks are going to happen and he's it's kind of just like we've got no choice technology is going to drive us to this thing what i actually found from this was the i don't think that's the case um as page 344 at the bottom explains and cole will give us a a section and a, a feel of this right now the first and most obvious factor is that the appeal of ebook subscription services will depend on the extent to which readers wish to read books in a digital format on a screen rather than as a physical book. In this respect, subscription services in the book industry are not directly comparable to subscription services in music, films, and TV series, simply because of the physical print-on-paper book remains the preferred format for many readers in a way that has no parallel in the music, film, and TV industries. 
Today, the vast majority of consumers listen to music in some digital format. Even with the renewed popularity of vinyl, which, despite its remarkable comeback, still accounted for less than 5% of U.S. music industry revenue in 2017, and films and TV series are always watched on a screen. So subscription services in music, films, and TV are tapping into markets where content is typically and overwhelmingly delivered digitally, and in the case of films and TV, consumed on screens. There is simply no other way to consume it. With books, however, print remains the dominant medium, and for those readers who prefer the medium of print, a subscription service for ebooks will have no real attraction. It is in those areas and genres where ebook reading is particularly prevalent, e.g., romance, fantasy, and thriller. That subscription services have gained traction and are likely to flourish in the future. Both because these are genres where the EP ratios are skewed in favor of ebooks and because heavy readers in these genres are likely to appreciate the financial benefits of accessing content through a subscription model. So once again, we can see the wordiness of this. God damn, this book is wordy, which is good in some cases. Uh, but I suppose the main point that was coming out there was these subscription models, these things like they did not rely on the just the digital mechanisms you know the digital the digital is important it changes a lot of things it means that things can be condensed down into certain different um you know for for the screens for tablets for ebooks for for kindles things like this but ultimately the driver of what will happen is still humans and so the for example many people thought okay ebooks are going to change everything and it's actually going to become a new format it's not going to be just a, a you know text written on screen it's going to be this multimedia experience where you open up it you start reading and if you're reading about a character walking down the the street you're going to hear the sounds of the street coming out of out at you from from your device um, if you double click on a word which you perhaps might not realize it'll link open and it'll create these different boxes they were imagining this total, total revolutionary new way of consuming content, which would be a, a completely new format. It's not going to be a book anymore. It's going to be something different. What ended up happening was, no, people did not want that. <laughs> Digitization did not create a new medium. People just wanted portable books. <laughs> and so what we saw was all of these experiments with these different things ended up just kind of not being profitable in the end. People just wanted to access a book and read it. And another thing was that, you know, print is still preferred by humans. So it's not like even just having digital books now meant the the physical books went away. No, no, pretty much um, humans still just, there's something in the tactile feel and, um, and being able to have a heaviness and being able to flip back and forth. This was actually very important for me in this where I did need to go back to certain pages and create different, um, you know, graphs, take pictures and photos and quotes like I do for what Cole just read out there. Doing all of that on an ebook would be a much harder experience for me personally. Uh, what else did we find with the subscription services and the different models? Well, that was largely dictated on the people who are reading it. And so Amazon, for example, um, the subscription really works for really heavy readers and who are re really heavy readers it's people who read thriller sci-fi romance erotica um a bit of fantasy chucked in there as well 
and largely buying the bulk they didn't say it in the book but i'm putting that down to female housewives <laughs> because they can consume ridiculous amounts of content and if you go onto bookstagram you will see it is mostly females posting all of these like you know I've read 326 books this year, down from 426 last year, but I'm really still proud of myself. It's like, Jesus Christ, how are you consuming this much stuff? Um, so, ebooks and a subscription model are amazing for, for people like that. The limited subscription model um, only works if you get the, the right business model from the start and if you get enough um, people and you get network effects. And so he's got all of these examples in the book of how people were trying to essentially capture a network and capture people onto their, um, onto their particular platform. And then they'd figure out the monetization models afterwards and they'd do all these different things. Uh, it was very squishy, very, very squishy. And what I took from it was, it's, so much of it was just luck. You could be a dedicated person really trying to change the industry and you it just needed to be like at the right time or the right device needed to come out the year before the kindle changed a lot of things for sure the uh amazon and and google had this basically like where they were taking over all the not taking over google was digitizing a lot a lot of books um, because they wanted to improve their search. And this actually had some conflicts with people who were like, hey, that's our IP and you're just digitizing it. And they were creating little snippets that you could read online. I actually remember this when I used to type things in and some of the first Google search results would be from a book, but it would only show you like a paragraph or maybe a page at most. And publishers were very angry about this and they were suing Google and they were doing all these things. In the end, it kind of just went away. It didn't really change that much because Google actually found out like, oh, we don't actually need these books appearing in our search results anymore. Uh, there was also a lot of fighting between the book publishers and Amazon um, about this kind of agency model versus subscription model because basically Amazon was dictating the prices and they were saying, you know, every book's going to be $9.99, whereas all the agencies, uh, all the publishers were like, oh my God, no, you can't do that. All of this kind of was just, I look, after reading this and seeing the whole history, I'm just like, okay, it's still dictated by humans. The business models have changed, but it's, it's not this drive of technology that's shaping humans. I actually think in this case, humans shaped the, the, the drive of, of what was happening with books far more than than being able to digitize things and, and things like that. So yeah, very, very interesting in that um, aspect. Let's jump now onto the author, perhaps some extra details. So John B. Thompson, he is a British professor at the University of Cambridge, studied uh, philosophy, sociology, social anthropology. Uh, he's a many time author. He's, this dude's published quite a few books himself, mostly focused upon like social media, uh, mass communication, ideology, politics, that sort of stuff. Um, he's written two very similar books, one on academic publishing um, in particular, and he was focusing in the time period, I, I suppose, from I think it was like the 1970s onwards, and then also one on overall book publishing called Merchants of Culture. So this was really focused just on the digital, but he's also written books on other specific things related to the publishing industry. And he talks about in his 
uh, notes at the end on the research methods and saying like, yeah, I, I drew some of the stuff from that. One thing I got to give him praise for, this dude was meticulous. Hundreds of interviews, a lot of time spent really trying to focus like what is actually happening, what had happened in the industry. And yeah, kudos to him. He he really knew what he was doing. And, and so this book, although the style of it was was very heavy, it, it's not like unnecessary heavy or distracted heavy. It was like, no, okay, it, it was... It was heavy for a reason. I guess I would put it that way. The main thing, the extra thing that I, I got from this was there's just so many counterintuitive behaviors or things that happened that were counter to perhaps what your inter- intuition would have been. And so all of these predictions that people had, <laughs> they're so wrong. They just were not even close to the reality of what happened. So people were expecting with ebooks who would be one of the main markets for it it would be businessmen who would want a financial book that they could read whilst in airports because these are guys who are like time poor they're busy this is like the perfect sort of thing for them did that actually was that a main driver no it wasn't because businessmen are reading a financial book like you need to focus on that you need time and and brain energy and and really be able to like flip through it in different ways. Businessmen did not want it. And so what ended up happening was, you know, narrative romance for women was much, much easier to to use on an ebook. Um, people don't want that enhanced multimedia book. I talked about that before. Um, they and here's a little quote from the from the book as well. They wanted the experience of a book without the distractions of all that other media, which was just once again counterintuitive. People, when they were first thinking like ebooks, they're going to change. We've got to add all these functionalities. And the the thing that ended up being the bestseller was the Kindle because it just made things easy. That's what, what people wanted. They wanted ease. They wanted to be able to have their Kindle automatically like download books from the device itself using Wi-Fi or not Wi-Fi. They didn't want a backlit screen. And the Kindle provided that. And man, it it boomed and really changed a lot of things. Um, ultimately <clears throat> it was, uh, more efficient, the, the eBooks and, and what happens in the industry, but, but not initially. And this is another thing with technology. You think, oh, digitization, it's going to make things so much easier. We just have to scan the books. Um, we've already got it written down, you know, digitally somewhere. We'll just put that out in a different format. Bam, you know, Dunskis. Not really. So jumping back to page 13, right at the start here. Uh, Here's some interesting stuff that um, Cole's going to read out for us. By the mid-1990s, many of the technical aspects of book production, including typesetting and page design, had been thoroughly transformed by the application of digital technologies. Progress was more erratic in other areas, such as editing and printing. Here to there were aspects of the workflow that became increasingly digital in character, through ways that were more complex than a one-way shift from analog to digital. While many authors were composing texts on computers and henceforth creating digital files, their files were often too full of errors for publishers to use. It was often easier and cheaper for the publisher to print out the text, edit and mark up the printed page, and then send the edited and marked up manuscript to a compositor in Asia who would re-key the text and add the tags for the page layout. So while in principle the author's keystrokes were the point at which the digital workflow could begin, in practice, at least in trade publishing, the digital workflow typically began at a later point, 
When the edited and marked up manuscript was rekeyed by the compositor who supplied the publisher with a file that included additional functionality. <laughs> How stupid is that? So instead of going from, you know, someone writes something digitally and then it just gets printed and then it gets put out in an ebook. No, no, no. What ended up happening was someone would write something digitally, it gets printed, so then they could mark it up and then it could get re made into digital and then it could be printed again <laughs> you know it's just like yeah you're holding your, your hands and your head going like well this isn't actually making things more efficient is it now uh and you could also see that with all the different formats that people would have to put it in moby epub pdf there was a ridiculous amount of things there was so much just change as well where isbns was this connected to this book oh people aren't doing this and so now we don't know how many books are getting published per year because many self-publishers aren't doing it. So much different stuff was happening. So, you know, what what explains all these poor predictions? What, why did, uh, and, and how come even having data from the music industry, for example, why couldn't we predict like, oh, the same thing's going to happen to books? Um, who could have predicted, for example, another company called Wattpad being really popular with young teens, in particular females again, who want to read um, fan fiction on their phones, which is a, it's a huge app. There's got like hundreds of millions of downloads and things like that. All of this, I, I would just say is humans are unpredictable. We really do not know exactly what we want. And sometimes the market has to just produce devices, produce things. And then we find out like, oh yeah, I really did want that. And it's for a counterintuitive reason that we it's just really, really hard to predict. And so using, you know, data from other industries and saying, oh, you know, this really screwed up music. You guys, you're so screwed. Like, good luck, big five publishers. It didn't actually end up happening that way because humans respond differently to text than they do to music. And yeah, I just found that really fascinating. So much of what I thought I would learn from this book was was not what I really got out from it which is getting me onto my overall summary, similar books, some recommendations. Overall, I've learned a lot and I'm, I'm glad I read this. It was a struggle to get through. It took a long time. Uh, you will come out feeling like you were part of the time period just through the, the details of it where you go, oh, okay, there was this company and there was this company. And even if you didn't live it yourself and even if you'd never heard of ScribeD or Wattpad or any of these, you know, never really heard of Kindle Direct Publishing before. You go through and you're like, oh yeah, I can kind of remember that. And I, you know, there were some things that I could kind of remember. I got my first Kindle in 2011, 2012, something like that. So I do remember the experience of using that. I do remember some of the experiences that he was talking about in this book. Um, really helped me understand what technology can change and also drawing parallels between different industries, how predictions actually aren't that great. Um, and people are different, dynamics can flow and things can just change rapidly. I honestly would say that the book should probably be called Book Skirmishes because the wars that happened in this book between publishers, between Google and what happened with Amazon and things like that, they were small. They were, they were sure there were some lawsuits and things like that, but Overall, I would just say, you know, the book industry just changed. I wouldn't say it was necessarily fraught with absolute chaos and, you know, changes to, you know, certainly no death or murder or things like that, but not even like that much hardship. 
And it just opened up a lot of opportunities for things that weren't there before. Sure, some things changed, but things always change. You know, <laughs> the average publisher more probably changed in just their individual life than what was actually happening with the industry as a whole around them. So um, my pleasure alternated between boredom and extreme interest. So it's really hard to kind of give a rating for this. Personally, uh, I would give it maybe like a seven out of 10, eight out of 10 for myself just because I learned a lot and I've got a lot that I can take through to my other podcast, The Value for Value. For the average reader at home, I would say this book is just too long. Like your your interest is probably not going to be as niche as mine is. So I would, I'm just going to give a rating for those at home and just say six out of 10 for Book Wars by John B. Thompson. It's, it's decent. <laughs> you really got to make sure you want to know about all the different things of book publishing because it will give you all of that. It's a, it's a huge, huge book. Uh, the only thing that uh, I really took away from this in terms of similar books, recommendations, uh, it's funny because I'd say to add to this, to know more about the book publishing, I don't think I really need more than this book. It is so comprehensive. That's the kind of comprehensive and exhaustive. <laughs> Those are the two words that I took out from this. And I would say the only thing that I could add to this is maybe like a memoir from someone who was an author during this time period or a publisher who gave firsthand funny experiences of what was happening in the industry. Um, in terms of what it reminds me of, there was another book called The Noonday Demon, which I've read before by Andrew Solomon. And that's all about depression. And it is similar to this thick. I think that was like 600, 700 pages or something exhaustive in terms of the medical side of things, the psychological side of things, the history side of things. That book obviously is different in terms of content, but the way it's written, the style and how deep it goes reminds me of that. So if you like this style of being very comprehensive and exhaustive, that's that's maybe one that you'd want to try out. Obviously, in terms of things that are similar, Free by Chris Anderson, um, The Future of Radical Price, or any of those kind of like technological books that I've been reading lately, The Long Tail, The Inevitable, I mentioned that before. Those are probably what you want to get to if you're looking for something that's similar in terms of the actual content and how things have changed digitally. So, whew, big, big session today. Thank you, everyone, for, for joining me. I'm going to jump on into my little Boostergram lounge here. And I, I've still got my little sad puppy photo up here, but I did actually get uh, a Boostergram this week. And so I do need to thank Brian D. O'Leary, who just said thank you. And he sent 100 sats sent using Fountain. So this is something that you can do on <clears throat> your app, in particular, a podcasting app, which allows you to do this. Uh, and Brian is a, I think he's a podcaster himself. I went to his Fountain page and I couldn't actually see what his podcasts were. I might, might reach out to him about that. Um, so, it's been a bit low on the, on the um, Boostergram. So, I really do encourage you to help support the show via doing that. You can do it via PayPal as well. There's a link down bottom. But I really do appreciate the boost coming in because that helps contribute directly to Cole as well, who was reading out all those fantastic co uh, quotes for me and uh, does a fantastic job of that. So, I would love... For him to be compensated as well all of this does require a lot of time energy things like that and so um yeah it's very much appreciated if you send in a boost a gram and so once again if you go to meermodelspodcast.com support i've got some tutorials guides links there on, on how you can do that 
Uh, I do want to shout out a couple of people who was leaving some comments as well, um, particularly on the YouTube channel. Um, and I've gotten some recommendations uh, from here and the recently. So uh, inventing reality, the politics of a new media, um, Rob V um, sent that in and he was talking about um, a, a similar book to the mass media uh, propaganda one that I was talking about of Noam Chomsky recently. I got another one by um, Patrick Suskun's Das Parfum. Parfum, which is a German book, but um, obviously would be in English. Um, so I, I um, and he was just, I don't think that's related to mass media, but um, yeah, he just wanted to say that. Uh, and then we had some just really nice um, uh, people commenting in regarding about political books, uh, about one of my old one, Gold's Book of Fish by Richard Flanagan. That's a, that's a fun one to check out. Um, and Daniel Coates, Donald Butcher, Home of the Yarra, um, and Nathan Literary, Literary. Lots of people commenting in, and I, I really do appreciate that as well. So not only can you help support the show by um, sending in a boostergram, but writing a comment as well is, uh, is really fantastic. Obviously liking, subscribing, all that. So yeah, value for value. Um, I would just ask that you contribute back to the show in some sort of way. I really... I hate the experience of just talking into a camera, just talking into a, a microphone and it feeling like it's just just me talking into the void. So some sort of interaction back. Obviously, I've talked about the boostergrams, but you can do many things to help support the show. Sharing this with a friend who you think would enjoy the channel or enjoy a particular aspect of, of what I've said, what I've um, put out. I would love to know some of your suggestions, recommendations for, for books that you think I would enjoy. So sending those in via a comment or reaching out via social media, any of those sorts of things, really, really do appreciate. You could create a clip from this, which you can do obviously on <clears throat> the podcasting apps like Fountain, where you can also be rewarded from that, but also in places like YouTube, you can clip things. So uh, I would very much appreciate that. And then finally, um, you know, what, what do you think I could do to improve this? Do other quotes that I'm getting cold to read, are they too long? Are they too short? Do you want more of them? Do you want some more visual elements? How can I improve the audio, make the shorter, longer? All these sorts of things I, I would love to, to really know and, and get your feedback on that. So just providing some sort of feedback would be very, very much appreciated. Uh, that is it for today, for this week. Thank you very much for joining me all the way to the end. What is coming up? Well, I needed a really light one after reading a couple of heavy ones. So I've got The Moon is Down by John Steinbeck. I've also got The Innocence Abroad by Mark Twain and The Winter of Our Discontent also by Steinbeck. Um, those are probably what I'll be getting through over the next couple of weeks. And then there'll be always more. There's always more coming out uh, because I really do enjoy reading books. It's a much, very, very pleasurable for me. So we're going to leave it there for today. Thank you everyone for joining in, for tuning in. Until the next week, I'll be live again. So tune in, as I mentioned, uh, 10 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time on a Thursday. And ciao for now. Karen out.